Thank you, Drew. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this morning, uh, we're going to hop into the story of Gideon. And uh, at the mention of that, some of you go, I've heard the story of Gideon so many times, right? The, the fleeces, the, the 300 men, right? Uh, and so some of you might be tempted to check what's happening with the Pro Bowl. I don't know what's, you know. Um, we're not going that direction today. So um, this is what, what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to tell you the story. And as I tell you the story, I want you to look for markers within the story. First marker is... Um, um, what is the progression that Gideon went through as he's, as the story is being laid out in scripture? What's the progression that he's going through? And then I want you to try and find out how many times during this story he tests the Lord. Some of you know a couple of them already, right? Um, but what I've found is that it seems like the Lord is, is uh, Gideon's testing the Lord more often than we initially think, okay? Uh, so I'm going to tell the story, and then we're going we're gonna to break down some of the pieces of, of Gideon's progression and what that leads us to. Because I think that um, Gideon's story will relate to us in a lot of ways. Okay? So the story of Gideon starts out in chapter 6 of Judges. Uh, starts out like many of the other stories in, Gideon, in, in Judges. is uh, They did evil in the sight of the Lord. Right? Uh, and then the Lord sees, sees them uh, and, and says, ah, I'm not going not gonna to let you continue to go down this road. Uh, so he gives them again into the hand of the Midianites. Last week it was the Moabites. Now it's the Midianites. Um, and the, the, the type of oppression that they, uh, they get under the Midianites is a little bit different. Uh, chapter 6, verse 4 tells us is that they, uh, the Midianites are this, this horde that comes around them and oppresses them through... Um, taking away their resources. Uh, verse 4, chapter 6 says, they would encamp, the Midianites would encamp against the Israelites and devour the produce of the land so far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up from the, for their livestock, with their livestock and their tents. And they would come like locusts in number. You guys familiar what a locust horde looks like? Just blotting out the sun <clears throat> both they and their camels could not be counted so they would lay waste the land as they came in and Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help so after seven years of oppression of this they finally cry out to the Lord the initial action of God is to send in a prophet to remind them hey guys uh you, you remember what I did in the past, right? Not just the recent past, but the past long ago. Verse 8, chapter 6. Thus says the Lord, the prophet says, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. And so 
God again steps in and sends an angel to a man named Gideon. And he finds Gideon in a cave threshing wheat because he's scared that the Midianites are going to take the food, the resources that they have. And so he's hiding and trying to keep the food so that they might survive. And the angel shows up to this, to this man hiding in a cave and says to the, the angel, verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Gideon responds, what? Valiant warrior? I, I don't, you don't, you must not understand uh, I'm the smallest man in the smallest tribe. He's able to deliver us. It doesn't seem like he's doing anything that he did in the past. I've heard those stories before. And yet, here we are, these terrible things happening us to, to us yet again. Hasn't he abandoned us? And the angel of the Lord says, Go in your strength and defeat Midian. No, 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 you don't seem to understand. What strength? I don't have any strength. But the Lord says, no, 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 I'm, I'm with you. Go, go defeat the Midianites. Gideon says, wait, wait, wait. Okay, so if you're with me, if you're with me, if you're really gonna do this, then I want you to perform a sign for me. I'm going to go make an offering for you and lay it out and, and you show me a sign. And so he goes and prepares a meal and brings it back to the angel. The angel reaches out with his staff and consumes the meal with fire from the rock that he laid it on. It's pretty crazy. And Gideon goes, oh, okay, yeah, you are, you are God. All right, here we go. Uh, and so he, he, he goes off, and the Lord says again, he says, okay, so first step, I want you to destroy the altars to Baal and the Asherahs that are in your land. And he goes, uh, okay, I'll try that. I'm not going to do it during the day. I'll do it at night because I'm still afraid. I'm still the smallest man. So he goes and he knocks them down. And initially, the response of the people are, how dare you to cut down the Asherah and, and destroy the altar? Uh, but the, the repercussions of that is, is actually that, that people start to follow Gideon as the leader of the war, right? It says, okay, we can, we can do this. Uh, we didn't actually suffer from killing uh, the altar to Baal. Uh, so let's go. Let's do this. And so people start to amass from other tribes. And here we go. Gideon's like, oh, man, this might actually be happening. And so he calls the Lord again. He says, okay, Lord, if you're really with us, if this is what you said you want me to do, uh, I'm going to lay out a fleece, and in the morning, the fleece will be wet, and all the ground around it will be dry, and that happens, right? And then he says, okay, wh wait, 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 wait. Please don't be angry with me. I'm going to lay out a fleece again, and you make the fleece dry, and all the ground around it wet. Okay, here we go. He does both of those things. And more and more people are amassing, right? It says 32,000 people have now amassed to go to war against the Midianites. And God says, okay, uh, wait. If you go to war with 32,000 people, you're going to think that you had something to do with defeating the Midianites. So we have to get rid of some of them. I want you to tell the people, if you're afraid, go home. 22,000 people go home. That's Gideon's probably like a little concerned at this point. I thought, 
less people will be afraid, right? Then the Lord says, okay, there's still too many. 10,000 still too many. Here's, here's what we're going to do. Make them go down to the river and drink. Depending on the way that they drink, we'll separate them. So anyone who drinks from the cup of their hand is going to stay with you. Anyone who kneels and sticks their face in the water like a dog has to go home. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. More people are going to drink from their hand than, right? I mean, that's what I would think, right? You don't go up to the river. Have you ever seen National Geographic? The alligator chomps the wildebeest in half, right? I mean, you don't stick your, your head in a river, right? I was telling Mary, I thought that this is what I was thinking. And she was like, well, I mean, you know, you know, they didn't have toilet paper, right? So it's probably a lot cleaner to stick your face directly in the water than to use a hand, right? Like, oh, okay, well, that, that makes sense. But I, I still think Gideon's sitting on the side being like, please, guys, drink out of your hand, right? I need as many people as possible. Only 300 are left. That's got to be a blow, right? Oh, man. Okay. So uh, Gideon takes the 300 people to uh, the battleground, right? Right to the doorstep of the enemy. And the Lord says to, to Gideon, I want, you to, uh, I want you to get up. Get up. Go. It's time to go. Um, go down and defeat the, Israel, the, the Midianites. It's time to go. But... If you're afraid, go down and listen, and you'll be strengthened by what you hear. And so what does Gideon do? He grabs his servant, Pura, and goes down, and he, he sneaks up to the tent. And this is what uh, transpires in the tent. One, one man is telling a dream to another man, uh, and, the, and the man interprets the dream uh, this way. Chapter 7 Verse 14 and 15. And his comrade, the man listening to the dream, says, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, the Lord has given the host of Midian into our hand. And so he takes the 300 men, divides them into three camps, and concocts a plan. He says, okay, we're going to take a, a pot and cover up a torch, and we're going to sneak up with our trumpets. And when we get there, you're going to break your pot, revealing your torch, and blow your trumpet, and then you're going to say this. It says, when I blow the trumpet, verse 18 I and all who are with me then blow the trumpet also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So they do as Gideon says, and the army runs. They flee. And then what happens as they go is, is uh, they just wipe out the Midianites. More and more tribes gather together and defeat the Midianites. They kill the princes, the kings. It's just massacre, right? And then Gideon says, okay, you guys can keep the spoils of war, but give me all the earrings that you got. Must have been a lot of people wearing earrings because he collected 42 and a half pounds of gold. Earrings. That's a lot. That's, that's eight pounds more than the Stanley Cup. And he takes those earrings, gold earrings, and he forms an ephod. Ephod is the breastplate for the priests. 
He says this. This is what he does with the ephod. Judges 8, 27. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Ophrah. All of Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest for 40 years in the days of Gideon. I'm not sure that that's the way that story was supposed to go, right? So what is happening in Gideon's life? What's the progression of him walking through and seeing the Lord do these things in his life and coming to a place where he's now experienced at least national freedom by the hand of the Lord, well, the first thing that he does is he doubts God's word. He doubts God's word. Judges 6, 36 and 37 says, Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry all on the ground... Then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. As you have said. Gideon has already heard from the angel, from the Lord, directly. Go defeat the Midianites. And yet he doubts the audible voice of God. You know people who do not profess to know or love Jesus. And sometimes, because of the culture that we've all grown up in, they will actually quote scripture to you, right? And you think, that, that's really weird that you know scripture and yet you, that's, those don't go together, Right? You're not supposed to like lay that against me and then this is weird, right? Am I just, am I the only one? It's odd to me. So there's a, there's a difference between hearing the word of God, of having this loose connection with the word of God and knowing it, right? Knowing the word of God is not just like knowing what it says, but the, the purpose of this text is so that you would meet the living God, right? Meet him because Jesus is the word of God, right? God is speaking directly to Gideon. And so he starts out with doubt. And the word of God is intended to do something in Gideon. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 and 3 do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the testing you may, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And so the word of God is, is, is meant to renew you is meant to change your mind so that you begin to agree and trust in God. But Gideon says, if the Lord is with us, 
Why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of the Midianites. See, Gideon isn't just doubting that uh, he and the people of Israel can defeat the Midianites. He's actually defeating, he's actually doubting the word of God, doubting the promise that God has given through his word, doubting his actual presence. And I would go so far to say as he's doubting that God is even actually God, right? You said you did all these things in the past and yet here we are. What's the problem? It's obviously you, right? So what happens when we doubt? The natural progression of doubting then leads to testing. Gideon begins to test the trustworthiness of God. So how many tests did you find in the story? You know of two already, right? The fleeces, that's the the easy ones. Did you catch the first one? He says to the angel of the Lord, if you're really with us, show me a sign. Give me a sign so that I know. Verse 17 of chapter 6, and he said to him, if, if, I, if now I found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is, is you who speak with me. And then in, when he's at the camp, he says, the Lord just kind of skips over it. He doesn't allow Gideon to get there. He says, but if you're afraid, go down and listen, and I'll strengthen you. So at least there's definitely three, but I think there's really four, right? Four different times that Gideon is testing the Lord to see, are you really who you say you are? Can I really trust you to do what you say you're going to do? I, uh, before joining the staff here, I uh, was with Alaska Bible Institute for a while. Part of my job there was to uh, run admissions. And uh, it's actually a really fun gig. Uh, I got to talk to, to young men and women all over the country uh, who would call and say, hey, I, I think I'm interested in, in coming to school there. Can you tell me about it? And we have these long conversations. And they were like, man, that sounds so good. I'm, I'm like, really need that in my life. And I would say that probably more than 60% of those conversations would end with, but I'm, not, I'm just not sure that the Lord is calling me to do that right now in my life. And I would think, what? I mean, they've told me like their plans, right? I'm, I'm thinking about going to school. Uh, I've got this job. I've got a girlfriend. And I'm just like trying to figure out life. And you're, you're waiting to see if the Lord wants you to study the Bible? I mean, I'm okay with you not coming to ABI, right? Like, come anywhere. Go study the Bible anywhere, right? Well, maybe not anywhere, but like good schools, right? <clears throat> is it, what they're saying is I'm waiting on the Lord to show me exactly what to do, to give me a sign. Matthew 12, 38 through 40. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks 
for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three nights and three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What Jesus is saying there is, I'm going to give you one ultimate sign. And that sign is going to propel my ministry for from now until I come back. You have no need of any other sign except for this, that I willingly climbed on a cross to give my life for you. That is the reason that we go. That is the reason that makes God's word so important to me. That I must know who is this that would give up their life for me. And so you're waiting to see if you need a sign to study the Bible. And you don't really have more plans laid out other than that, right? You just kind of live in life. Okay, so let's, let's say that like some of you are like career plan oriented, right? Uh, I had many friends in college that were like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be an engineer. And they did it, right? And now they're, they're, they're living out what they felt like their giftings were, right? What is the penalty for setting that aside for a little while in pursuit of the Lord? I would say that there is no penalty, right? There's only more for you to experience because you grow in your knowledge and understanding of the Lord and you trust him more, right? You pursue him more. And even if you go from Bible school to engineering school, you're better off, right? To pursue that career. Now you have an understanding of what the Lord is doing throughout all of the earth. And I can come to my engineering or whatever my career is with a fuller sense of purpose than engineering and earning money could ever do for me, right? Maranatha and I did our marriage counseling with a, uh, a couple, Dick and Doreen Corley. She met them uh, at a, a banquet. And they were probably in their 80s at this point. Um, they, and in their 20s, they were teachers at, at a Bible school. And they felt the call of the Lord to go to Iran, which at that point was not a closed country to Christians. And so they got on a freighter, the Atlantic, went all the way across landed somewhere in, in Europe, I think either Spain or Poland, got a Jeep and drove their Jeep to Iran with like a little baby. What possesses someone to do that, right? And I come back and I, I hear these stories as we're doing our marriage counseling with them. I hear these stories of, of God's provision, of God. Uh, miraculously coming through of God working through them and then them eventually getting kicked out, deported from Iran because they're Christians. And after this guy has like three or four heart attacks, he's still going to Turkey to meet with Iranian refugees who have given their life to the Lord through dreams and have fled to Turkey. And even while he's in Turkey, the, the, the Turkish people are pursuing him. 
you'd get there and be like, they know you're here. You only got a little bit of time before you probably need to leave again, right? I hear stories of that. And it was like, no, I, I have to actually go after this with everything that I have. It's kind of like putting your toe in water to see how cold it is. You just kind of like dip it in. I'm telling you, every time you do that, what's the answer? It's cold. The, the solution to, to going after it isn't, let me test it out. The solution is to dive in head first, right? That's what Dick and Doreen did. And that's what propelled me. It's like, no, this is, this is it. I want to experience the Lord in the same way that they have. Gideon takes a little bit of a different turn, though. So he goes from doubting to testing. And when you get to the testing phase, that's inevitably going to lend itself toward an answer, right? To lend itself toward an answer. And so the progression uh, leads Gideon to a conclusion. Did you notice the first time Gideon worshipped Gideon has multiple interactions with the Lord. First with the angel, then the Lord himself answering the the test of the fleece. He answers, he bows down in worship when he hears the interpretation of the dream. And the interpretation of the dream is that the Lord has given Gideon the power to overcome the Midianites and he bows in worship and then he goes off to his army and he says hey guys I have a battle cry for you it's going to be great the battle cry is I uh, for the Lord and for Gideon for the Lord and for Gideon are you sure you want to say that And so he, he bows at his name, and then he gets other people to say his name along with the Lord, and then he, and then he makes an ephod, and he takes the ephod home, and he puts it up, and he says, let's worship that thing. Look at what we did. It became a snare to him and all of his people, Right? So God comes to the weakest man, the smallest tribe, and says, hey, uh, why why don't you, in your weakness, do something in your strength, right? Remember that's what he said, oh, valiant warrior, in your strength, go, defeat them. What he means by that is clearly Gideon is not strong, but that God wants to show off his strength through our weakness, right? having a conversation with Drew and Aaron this week. I don't know if you guys have felt this. It's our fifth week in Judges. But it's been like pretty heavy, you know? Like, man, these people just keep getting beat up. They keep getting it wrong. Where's the hope in this, right? We're Christians. Aren't we supposed to have a little bit of hope in this? 
And so I went back through the story, and instead of focusing on Gideon, I started to look at what the Lord was accomplishing. What is the Lord doing here? And what I found is the gospel. The gospel message right here in Judges. See, Gideon and the Israelites call out for help. And the Lord, in his righteousness, in his holiness, in his graciousness, responds out of his own mercy. And you know that, you know that in order to hear, doesn't mean that God created the world and then he set off to the other side of the galaxy, right? In order to hear our cries. He's, he's with us. And he said as much to Gideon multiple occasions. So he hears the cry. And the first, first interaction is, is, is he sends a prophet. Hey, remember, remember what I did? How I set those people free? How I promised to bring you into the promised land? Why are you not obeying me? And then he sends an angel of the Lord to meet with Gideon. And as Gideon tests the Lord, he answers him every single time in marvelous ways, right? Giving people dreams, making things wet and not wet right beside each other, burning up food when no one started a fire. But here's the thing. That's not actually the greatest thing that he did in this story. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. The people of Israel who did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian. The Lord gave them into the hand of Midian. See, the, the Lord is, is there. He knows what's happening. He knows that they're turning away from him, and yet... He does the most loving thing he can for them is to stop them from going further and further down the same road that they've been down before. No, that's not the right way I want you to go. Come back to me. Hebrews 12, 7 and 8. Endure suffering as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you do not experience discipline like everyone else, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Verse 11. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who have been trained by it. Greatest thing that God can do to a wayward child is to step in and redirect their path. And most of the time, that is not us willingly agreeing with this discipline, right? And yet God has called us not to doubt him in those moments, but to renew our mind, especially about discipline. To see discipline is actually, oh, this is actually to benefit me. Not because God is in the sky and angry towards me or angry towards his creation, 
but that he loves us exceedingly. The crazy thing about this is, is that at this point, it would seem like God has every right to say, you know what, Israel, as a nation, I have fulfilled my promise to Abraham, brought you into the promised land. You're far greater than any nation Abraham ever dreamed of. And yet that's not the character that God shows in this story or throughout his scripture, that he is long-suffering, that he is patient and kind. Chris, you can come up. He's not investing in his creation because we are inherently worth his investment. He's investing in us because of his character, because of his nature. His extravagant love, goodness, kindness, mercy, grace, those are the things that compel him to enter into our situation to enter into our lives in order that we would respond to him, come back to him. You know the way that you know that that's his character? Because of the cross. Because he died for us. Because he rose again to give us life. So some of you see Gideon's life. Okay, doubt, test. Yeah, I'm, that makes sense to me. I've, I've been there. I've done that. If you start with doubting and then you move to testing, the likeliest outcome is that you continue to doubt the Lord, which is what Gideon does continues to doubt the Lord and sees himself victorious over the Midianites. If you continue reading the story, it gets worse and worse for Gideon. So we have to renew our mind. Instead of doubting, what I need is actually faith. What Romans 12 says is that we have a measure of faith. And the way to know that we have faith is to test our faith, to not stick our toe in to see, am I, am I ready? But to dive in and to go after it with all we have, right? That's what he says in Malachi. If you want to test me, why don't you test your faith? Give a little bit more than you think you can and see what happens. So faith leads to testing, leads to more faith. More faith in the one who deserves it. The one who deserves all all of the glory that he gets. So if you're questioning that, if you're still doubting, say that, come pray with us over in the back. Come back to a place that you, you have gone by previously, right? Maybe the the Lord has spoken to you in a certain way and said, hey, I want you to rise up and defeat the Midianites. Not really, right? 
He's given you. He's answered the test. Yeah, I'm coming after you. I want you to try it out. Try out your faith. Because he's worth it. Just pray with me. so thankful that you have made a way for us to come to you to know you to trust you to believe in you God I pray that you would help us to step out into situations that we are not comfortable in in order to experience you the way that you work the way that you overcome to do impossible things that are outside of our own strength. Because what could be better than that? I pray that your, your spirit would guide us to make us new and to love you with everything that we have. In Jesus' name. Matt was sharing, I feel like there's some of you here uh, that you know God's good, you know he's powerful, you know he can work all things for good, uh, and yet you feel like you just don't see his hand in your life. You don't hear his voice right now, you feel like you're in a desert. And you're, while Matt's talking, you're thinking, yeah, but also my life, and God wants you to know he's right there. And he sees you. He's near. And I know that's one of those like kind of generic words, but I feel like it's true. And I feel like that's what God's saying to you. I also feel like there's some of you here while Matt was sharing, you just feel like God's mean. You just feel like he's a mean guy. And he's not. And it's okay that you feel that. It's okay that your heart gets pricked that way. Actually, that's your opportunity to respond and to be honest with God and say, Lord, okay, here's what you say in scripture. Here's the invitation. Those words, right? Right there at the beginning. You make it easy to love you. You make it easy to trust you. And those words come up and you think, ah, it's, I don't know. That's okay. God wants to meet you right where you're at. And for all of us, we're in that opportunity, right? Like Aaron shared with wherever we're at in that, in that season. Today is the opportunity to say yes, to come before the Lord in a joyful opportunity to say, Jesus, meet me where I'm at and to present our hearts to him with all of the good and all of the stuff going on. He knows it all, and today's the day. So if you want prayer, you can get prayer after. Um, right over there, um, the team will kind of hang out for a little bit. Um, if, as I was sharing, that kind of protect your heart, feel free to get prayer. Um, if you're not comfortable with that, feel free to approach us separately. Love to be a part of that journey with you, to pray with you. Uh, you're not alone.